0: Over the years, Manhattan's Lower East Side has produced a number of famous artists, including Luther Vandross. But little is heard about those who made it only to the fringe of success. Good morning. I'm George Boracki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Everybody
1: likes to squeeze my fanny. They
0: do everything to please my fanny. Benny Bell grew up on the Lower East Side and dreamed of being the next Irving Berlin. He wrote and sung hundreds of songs full of double entendres, including this one, Everybody Wants My Fanny. But Bell's music career never fully took off. His grandson, Joel Sandberg sees a lot of Poppy Benny in himself. He's written a book titled Grandpa Had a Long One, Personal Notes on the Life, Career, and Legacy of Benny Bell. Joel, thanks for joining
2: us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Now, the said grandpa in Grandpa Had a Long One was your grandpa. He was my father's father, my paternal grandfather,
2: so you can't get more direct than that, huh?
0: First of all, explain the title of this book because it can go in a few different ways. Grandpa had a long one.
2: It can go in even a new direction than it couldn't go a couple of weeks ago now that I am a grandpa. Just ah. just became one about 3 weeks ago. Congratulations. So, so, you know, where you want to go with Grandpa had a long one in terms of that is another story entirely. But to answer your question, Grandpa had a long one refers to his life, his career, and of course we took it from the title of one of his songs now actually because of some of the personality traits of my grandfather which you your readers your listeners and readers of the book will will find out he had some morals and some mores that were a little strange and a little skewed at times and so here he was a guy who came out with some of the most outrageous double entendre novelty songs, but there were certain things he would not do. So when he came out with a song in the 40s called Grandpa Was a Long One, he had to decide whether or not to call it Grandpa Had a Long One or Noses, or Noses Run in My Family. That song had a couple of titles. It was known on the label of the records as Noses, but we always knew that he wrote it as Grandpa Has a Long One, And that's how we we knew it growing up, as Grandpa Has a Long One. So I took that and combined it with the fact that he had a long life and career, and that's where we came up with our title.
1: My grandpa had a long one, it nearly touched his chin. My uncle has a small one with hardly any skin. My daddy has a broad one, just like a rolling pin. But mine is big and round and fat. It looks more like a baseball bat. You never saw a nose like mine
2: before.
0: If it weren't for the double entendre, Joel, would we be here talking about Benny Bell?
2: Probably not, although that's not to say that he wouldn't have spent his entire life trying to be in the recording industry and in the entertainment industry, because as you know from having read the book, he was multifaceted in terms of his musical output. It was not just novelty. It was also Yiddish songs. It was also Yiddish, uh, uh, Hebrew ceremonial songs, Jewish ceremonial songs, and quite a number of ballads as well. He decided to focus on the novelty aspect during a particular phase of his career when somebody who was in the industry, somebody high up in RCA, as a matter of fact, mentioned to him that selling novelty songs through the jukebox market might be a very good way of making a very good living. So it was at that time, and he had already been in in the business for a decade or a decade and a half or maybe even two decades, it was at that point that he went into the novelty he was
0: initially annoyed by that suggestion, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, because he, was go, he wanted to be Irving Berlin. Irving Berlin was his idol. He wanted to be a, a, a maker of, of beautiful ballads, not novelty, but fun songs that maybe played off of holidays and ceremonies and that sort of thing. So um, I don't know if he was really annoyed as much as he just didn't like people telling him what to do. But he gave it a shot, and as you know, from having read the book. It it took off one of the first that he did, which was, uh, I believe, uh, Take a Ship for Yourself, Uh, really, really took off in the public in the New York area and then spread to other areas of the country, and that's what started his novelty career.
0: That was back in 1946. 1946 and 1947, big years for Benny yes. Bell.
2: Yes, that was that was when it really took off for yeah.
1: him. Every time we take a trip, you always get my goat. I like trains and buses, but you like a ferry boat. Well, the next time we go traveling, ships are out and I declare... You go your way, I'll go mine, I'll meet
2: you over there. It's also called The Boat Song, right? For the same reason that Grandpa had a long one was called Noses. He just had to play it a little safe. And there was some precedent for that because there were some problems in the industry in terms of uh, some disc jockeys and some performers and some record store owners getting in trouble with the law and the authorities because of that sort of material. So it wasn't a bizarre act on his part to try to hide that stuff from time to time. He was afraid
0: of the censor police, so to speak, wasn't he?
2: He got close to being picked up, yeah.
0: Benny Bell, not his real name.
2: No. It was a very alliterative way of, as we discussed before, of coming up with something that would not get his family into trouble since he also had another really strange and fascinating character quirk, which was that despite everything else we've talked about, we've talked about so far in our conversation he thought that he was going to be a multi-zillionaire famous worldwide world-renowned entertainer but more than him thinking that he would be it he thought other people would think he already was just based on whatever airplay he already had which in some cases, of course, was significant. But nevertheless, he thought a lot of people would think he already was a millionaire and he didn't want anybody to rob his house, to kidnap his children. So he wanted to stay away from our family name, which was Sandberg. And that's why he picked Benny Bell.
0: Which was actually Zamberger and something probably before that, right?
2: Yeah, the, the history of that is a little bit convoluted. From what I understand, and I don't remember how I ended up talking about it in the book, I think it actually did start out as Samburg way back when in Europe, Eastern Europe, and then became Zamberg, and then became Zamberger, and then became Zam- Zamber, and then, you know, they left off the G, they put on a Z. And finally, um, he grew up as Zamburger, but then he changed it legally to Sandberg when he was able to do that.
0: You said that your grandfather wanted to be another Irving Berlin. Yes. They had something in common. They were both from the Lower East Side of Manhattan.
2: They had many things in common. They were both from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Their fathers were cantors. They both started out by writing songs that they would just deliver to famous people in the industry without having a name for themselves yet, which is what you're supposed to do when you're nobody and you want to be somebody. Uh, They both started out doing some novelty. My grandfather did a little bit in the early days, even though that's not what he really wanted to do. He tried everything when he was very, very young. That song um, Sweet Violets, which has a very fascinating history, was sort of a novelty song, and that was one of his first.
1: When I was a handsome young fellow I sure had the time of my life But one day a man broke my backbone When I ran away with his sweet violets
2: Sweeter than all the roses Irving Berlin did the same sort of thing when he was first starting out in his late teens. So the similarities go on between the two of them. Of course, the one big difference is that Irving Berlin became Irving Berlin and Benny Bell stayed Benny Bell.
0: Why do you think that's the case? Why didn't Benny Bell become a household name in these days?
2: For those who have the pleasure of reading my book, is that a shameless plug or what? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) They will find out that what happened to my grandfather was that he had some bad luck at the beginning with less than honest record companies and publishers. He lost money, he was swindled. Yes, he was swindled. He signed fake contracts. He was cheated out of royalties that were rightfully due him. And when you count on your hands a couple of these things happening time after time at the very beginning of your career, maybe you can understand how you can become very fearful. And, um, and he was and mistrustful. And he decided at some point very early in his career that he was going to do everything himself. Now, when I say everything, I mean everything. Write, produce, arrange, record, package, design the label, put them in your car and drive them around to record stores and radio stations, follow up publicity, call up the journalists, everything. And as you probably can imagine, and as anybody who probably listens to the station can imagine, you just can't do that. You need help. You need professionals. You need people who know what they're doing. You need to be a little bit trustful. You can be wary, you can watch out for yourself, but you can't do the whole thing yourself. He never violated that principle, and because he never violated that principle, he never got to the level that he that I think, and that a lot of people think, he, he deserved to be at.
0: When he put out that hit, Take a Ship for Yourself, he finally
2: had a record people wanted to buy, but he didn't have copies to sell them when he finally had a song that a lot of people wanted to buy he ran into technical problems with the company that was pressing the records they didn't press correctly there was something wrong with the groove and there was uh, the arms of the jukebox wouldn't play the song all the way through when jukebox distributors and club operators realized this they decided not to buy the record that was when he had records to sell. But uh, to your point, at the very beginning, because of the technical problems, he didn't even have the records to give to them, let alone have them find out that they weren't working. So it was a double-edged bad sword <laughs> that he was faced with with that song. He was apoplectic. He wanted to pull his, what was left of his hair out. As you can read in the book, he went through some what was probably real depression, probably.
0: You read this in his journal.
2: Yes, yes. All the information that I have, most of the information that I have is from copious notes that he kept about his life, his own life and his career, his diaries, little notes, little papers, letters that he wrote to people, notes that he scribbled on the side of sheet music, on the side of ledgers where he wrote down all the songs that he was writing. What I did was take a couple of years and piece it all together.
0: When you were growing up, your parents repeatedly said, and here's a quote from your book, Heaven help you if you ever turn out to be anything like your grandfather. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> which is weird because what, you, what your listening audience doesn't know is that when I walked in here and we chatted a little bit, you said, oh, you're a lot like your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, what would you like me to say about that?
0: <laughs> well, first of all, did you understand what
2: they no. meant? Not then. Not then because I was so taken by him. When you're a kid, you're not thinking about earning a living. You're not th- thinking about making a life. You're not thinking about supporting children. You're not thinking about the clothes and the food your children are going to need while growing up or sending them to college or whatever it is. None of that was in my frame of mind. So when they said that, I, I said to myself, I remember thinking to myself, well, what do they mean? Why not? <laughs> he's, he's healthy. He's slim. He's slim. I mean, you see a lot of grandpas growing up in suburbia that are these slovenly fat guys just sitting around smoking cigars and, you know, watching TV or reading the sports pages. Mine was always doing something. He was busy. He was slim. He was active. He was funny. People came from all around to see him. Why wouldn't I want to be like that? And I didn't know about money. I didn't know that he wasn't making any money. I I didn't know that the money he made on his a couple of hits, had all been reinvested into projects that failed. I didn't know any of that at the time. So you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, my parents did say that in one way or another throughout my childhood, and I always thought to myself, well, why the heck not? Why shouldn't I be like Benny Bell?
0: And how much do you see? How much Benny Bell do you see in you?
2: Quite a bit, I would say. Um, first of all, there's the need to be in entertainment in one way or another. It's the struggle. It's the stick I've I've wanted to be a, a novelist and a playwright and a screenwriter and a television writer my entire adult life and I'm I'm still not there but I'm I'll never, ever, ever give up. You know, so there's that kind of good stubbornness. I think he had the talent but just didn't access it in the proper way. I think I have the talent and just took a few wrong turns along the way in terms of my career, you know compromising and that sort of thing. His optimism, his love of a good time, I think is the same. From time to time, my voice sounds like him. I, I could imitate him pretty Give me well. a little Benny Bell, if you will. Okay. Um, Our baby fell out of the window. We figured her head would be split. But good luck was with her that morning. She fell in a big pile of shaving, shaving cream. cream. Be nice and clean clean. Shave every day
1: and you will always look king
0: You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org I'm George Borarki Our guest this morning is Joel Samberg, the grandson of Benny Bell You might remember Benny Bell for this song called Shaving Cream Joel's out with a new book about his grandfather called Grandpa Had a Long
1: One Every day and you always looking. One day I went out to the woodshed. Some firewood I wanted to split. I picked up the axe by the handle. And found it all covered with shaving cream.
0: Your grandfather made a big comeback in 1975 with that song thanks to the novelty broadcaster Dr. Demento Correct. and the New York City DJ Cousin, Cousin Brucey. Bruce.
2: That's right. That was a fascinating time in the Sandberg household in Westbury. Dr. Demento found a discarded 40 uh, a discarded 78 I believe of uh, shaving cream uh, somewhere I don't know where, in the the Midwest or maybe out on the West Coast. He played it on his show, which was new at the time. It was only a year or two old. And um, his show, the Dr. Demento Show, was also carried by WNBC in New York. So to help promote Dr. Demento Show, Cousin Brucie, who was one of their biggest on-air personalities, started playing Shaving Cream as well, just to promote the Dr. Demento Show. But... While he was doing that, the New York listeners also heard it and started demanding to hear it over and over again, so it went directly on the w n b c playlist and became one of their top rated hits of uh, nineteen seventy
0: five and People actually believed you that you had a grandfather in show business right
2: for years and years. I was promoting my grandfather to my friends and neighbors, telling him that telling them that that he had records that he had albums that he wrote books that he appeared on television, which he did although it was mostly at two o'clock early in the morning when all my friends were sleeping. And it's not that nobody believed me, but nobody really took much care about it because he wasn't somebody that they would find on network primetime television or see written up in Newsweek or Time. Then, yes, you're right. Finally, when the Dr. Demento and Cousin Brucie thing hit and you turned on your radio and you heard my grandfather with that distinctive high-nasal voice of his singing that crazy shaving cream song, which I had been singing for years... All of a sudden, people realized, hey, Joel wasn't lying. He does have a famous grandfather, and for that time, he was famous.
0: It wasn't your grandfather's voice, though, on the original recording of Shaving Cream, right?
2: Yeah, there were a couple of versions, but one that uh, is most prevalent out there, because it was pressed more than the others, was was a, a gentleman by the name of Phil Weinstein, or his stage name, which was Paul Wynn, which was also... My grandfather's stage name for a couple of records, they shared the name. And as we discussed before, he did that during a time when there was particular activity uh, with, the, with the post office and, 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 and the sheriff's office in Newark, I believe, with regard to novelty songs and ris- what they called risque songs. So when Shaving Cream came out, which was the third or fourth or fifth big novelty song that he had, things were pretty dicey. So he said, well, I'm not going to release this one even under Benny Bell. That one I'm going to release under Paul Wynn, and I'm going to let my friends sing it. Because just in case they think it's me, they'll come and they'll hear that it's not me. They'll listen to that record. They'll hear my voice. They'll see it's not me. It's not my name on the record. Maybe I can stay away from trouble. And he did.
0: And when this song hit it big in the 1970s, this guy came back, didn't he?
2: Isn't that a great story? That would make a fascinating movie. Yeah, he he heard the actual gentleman uh, actually heard it on the air over and over and over and over again my grandfather was written up in a lot of newspaper and magazine stories so the guy came back and said he wanted to be paid his fair share for having recorded it in the first place even though he had he and my grandfather had some sort of agreement that something like that would not happen but you know you know greed is a is a funny animal uh, but they they worked something out together How
0: far did your grandfather ride that wave from 1975 when shaving cream came back on the scene?
2: Not far enough, in my opinion. He was visited by the same old demons, which was distrust, paranoia. Um, He made a few smart moves by signing on with Vanguard Records, although I'm not convinced that Vanguard was the best label for him at the time, but... I think they were the first one to corner him, and I think, I'm not 100% sure, I think literally it was in the lobby of WNBC after he had come down from an hour-long interview with Bruce Morrow. Vanguard was known at that time more for classical music. I don't know if my grandfather had done his due diligence, his research into which record companies would have been the best but because they were a legitimate record company and I think he at the very least knew that he jumped on it and he said yeah let's let's do this after he signed the contract with them the ego came back the you know the all, all those character traits that played a part of his career up until that point came back for a return visit which meant that he had to do everything himself he had to produce the record he had to be in charge of rearrangements they record they re-recorded a couple of little things and he i i remember hearing about the fights that he was having with the vanguard people about that uh he wanted to be in charge of promotion and publicity of course he he did to an extent vanguard took up a little bit of that themselves but then guess what happened what <laughs> a little bit of chicanery with uh as i understand it and this is hearsay from him, I'm not quite sure, with some of the vanguard, I don't want to say some of the vanguard people, but some of the things they did with regard to royalties, with regard to foreign rights, and with regard to a few other things, he was screwed. And he knew it, and he, uh, he documented it in some of his own personal notes. Same thing happened all over, and I think that's when he decided to take control again of his entire career, which mean meant leaving Vanguard and doing the same thing he had been doing in between the original hits of the mid nineteen forties and the nineteen seventy five Resurrection.
0: If you were advising your grandfather to I would the time- tell him to
2: get <laughs> an agent and a manager and listen to them and don't be so damn paranoid and don't be so damn stubborn. Listen to them consider what they have to say, work with other people, and I bet you you'll end up on The Tonight Show.
0: He had a woman behind him, though, Grandma
2: Molly. What was she telling him? Grandma Molly was a saint. If she wasn't Jewish, she'd be Saint Molly by now. She loved him. She adored him. She enjoyed him. She stood by him through everything. As opposed as I am to cliches, and I am, she stood through by him through thick and thin. If I can think of a better way of saying that, I will, but it'll be off the air. She was a wonderful woman who, I guess, realized that was her fate. And when I say her fate, I mean the fate of being married to a quirky, nutty, fun, truthful, trusting, trusting in terms of personal relationships, Mm -hmm. guy who would not be able to give her any sort of creature comforts. They lived in a small, small Brooklyn apartment, two of them that I remember growing up. Spare furnishings, were never able to take vacations, uh, didn't have much of of anything. Uh, There was nothing luxurious about their lifestyles. But she never, ever, at least in front of me, and I don't ever remember hearing anybody else say that she ever complained about anything. She never complained about anything.
0: As we mentioned, your grandfather grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and he was very interested in the homeless population on the Lower East Side. Yes. He wrote songs about the bums of the Lower East Side, the bums of the Bowery.
2: Several songs, yes. Yeah, he um, he found a f- particularly special fascination of about them, and I think as I tried to explore it in my mind for purposes of writing about it in the book... I think it's because he envied them, not their economic situation, but their New York City being on the street situation. He so loved the city. He so loved Manhattan and Brooklyn that he envied anybody who got to see it day in and day out, 24 hours a day, and who better than the bums. Um, And they, they were just colorful individuals that when he started to write songs... He realized that they loaned they loaned themselves quite well to the color and the texture and the tone that make certain songs very interesting, story songs, which we would call in the last couple of decades. And his biggest non-novelty song, although some people say it is a novelty song, but his biggest non-double entendre song was a song, a ballad called Pincus the Peddler, which is about a bum or a guy who becomes a bum in New York. He starts out as a street cart peddler, which is not necessarily a bum because he was working, but because he goes through some bad times with his wife, he more or less becomes a bum.
1: I think it's the peddler, a broken-hearted peddler, the most unlucky fella that was ever born. My mama is la vodka, was drinking too much vodka, and left me stranded on a Sunday morn. Oh, my papa was a plumber who doubled as a drummer. I never really saw that
2: fella wear a frown. His whiskers were the longest, the toughest and the strongest, how well they used to
1: keep his face from falling down. Oh, hush your Oh, journey, yeah. oh California yeah. Oh California. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh I
2: think yeah. One of the many songs that he wrote about bums and transients and hobos, and he's written he wrote his first little pamphlet was about homeless people.
0: It was sort of like a homeless bill of rights, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. it was a little booklet telling bums to get together to stick out for themselves so that they, you know, can, can get what's due them in terms of not being taken advantage of by the authorities.
0: Your grandfather was indeed about more than just novelty music. He also put out other things, including a certificate of sanity.
2: <laughs> a little gimmick item that you sell in little five and ten cent stores, yeah, where you can give to people to prove to them that, that either you're insane or they are or that you're not insane or they're not. I don't remember. What it was was just a couple of, it was probably five cents and you just buy it and do – you know, we used to do that when we were kids with certain little stupid things that we'd buy at the 5 and 10 cent store. So, yeah, he was into that way before I realized that it was a market.
0: And his own line of postcards, the Lazy Man's Postcard. I the love this. The Lazy
2: Man Postcards, which you can buy and it had it was pre-filled out so that when you went on a business trip and you had to send something home to your wife, you didn't have to think about what to say. He would have a line, uh, you know, I'm having a good time in, and you would underline it, and then you just, you know, choose something or write in something, If I remember correctly, uh, he would have things like, I'm eating well slash poor, and you just pick the one. It's very uh, either hot, (laughs) cold, or whatever. (laughs) Right. So you don't have to do a darn thing in order to be able to send a postcard. You just just check a few little items, put it in the mail, and that's it. That's kind of clever.
0: Benny Bell was born in an apartment at 37 Broom Street. Do you know if that apartment still exists?
2: No, I don't. I, I have no clue. I don't even know if there's a Broom Street anymore, although I would assume there is.
0: You would think Uh, there should be a plaque, huh?
2: Oh, Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe there should be. Maybe this broadcast will somehow lead to it in some way or another. Because there was a lot about Benny Bell that people should remember. It was a fascinating life, a fascinating character. It speaks to a lot of things that are important about going after what you want, about trust, all kinds of things we can go on and on and on and on about Benny Bell and his character traits and his flaws and his his pinnacles and his uh his, his just his life in general
0: how many songs did benny bell record during his lifetime
2: i'm not sure how many he recorded i know he wrote about 650
0: what's your favorite benny <laughs> bell tune
2: well i don't want the men coming with the white jackets <laughs> because um I have no explanation for this. It's a song called Home Again Without Pants. And the without pants is in in parenthesis. And it's, to me, just an infectiously fun, nonsense, nothing of a fun song, (laughs) if that makes any sense at all.
0: Perhaps it reminds you of all the joy your grandfather I, brought you as a kid, all
2: the smiles, all the laughs. I guess so. When you hear the song, you just hear a bunch of guys having fun doing it. And when you when you think about it, it's 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 a very visual song in a slightly unusual way because the the lyrics talk about coming home again from wherever, and you'll see your your sister and she'll be without pants. You'll see your mother, she'll be without pants. You'll see your friend, your uncle, and why? What does it mean? Nothing. But, even though it means nothing, you can't not sing along. <laughs> and you can't not talk about other people you know and then add that little chorus, Without Pants. It's just crazy. It's, it's almost psychologically crazy. It's a lot of fun.
0: The book is Grandpa Had a Long One, Personal Notes on the Life, Career, and Legacy of Benny Bell. Grandson, Joel Sandberg. Thank you so much for coming in.
2: It was an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed every minute of it. And that's it
0: for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Baldarchi. My thanks to producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend.
1: I'm going home again. Without fans. Where I can roam again. Without fans. How happy I will be. Without fans. To see my family.